0: Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. Blessings. And this is my take on it. What I think has happened when we've started to talk about apostles particularly, but the, the rest of the fivefold, is that we have um, made the text say what we already believe. That we, we've come in with a preconceived notion, and we've made the text something that we that we believe. And the assumption is that everybody knows what an apostle is. So part of my mandate, uh, I think, in life, and at hasn't been given by God, it's certainly something that's been given by me, is that I want to remove the word apostolic from our lexicon, because we have no idea what it means. You know, you have a real apostolic gift. Well, there is no such a thing as an apostolic gift in Scripture, so I believe there's an apostle, but the apostolic isn't a gift. Neither is evangelism. If you if you can find the gift of evangelism in Scripture, I will give you a hundred dollars right now. The hundred dollar bill. If you can find the gift of evangelism in Scripture, I'll give you this hundred dollar bill. And we talk about that a lot. You know, oh, they have, they have a real gift of evangelism. We've just made up a gift that isn't actually in Scripture. You know, I, I have a gift of evangelism, but I don't know if I'm. I'm an evangelist. People talk nonsense. Right? They're talking about stuff that isn't actually in the Bible. That See that person have a real pastoral anointing? Where, where do we get that from? Is there a chapter and verse for a pastoral anointing? No. So, so we get really confused. And we all know what a teacher is, right? We know what a teacher is. Well, do we? it's mentioned like three times. The the ability to teach is mentioned three separate occasions. And I think they refer to three separate things. So if you're an overseer of a church, if you're an elder in a church, you should be what scripture calls apt to teach, able to teach. Does that mean you're a teacher? No. And then there's a Romans 12 gift, which is the gift of teaching. So just because you have the gift of teaching doesn't mean you're a fivefold teacher because that's a separate thing altogether, right? So so what are all these things? And I realize some of the stuff that I believe. So my heart is actually to have a conversation about the fivefold with with other leaders and not be so scary, um, because I'm poking a little bit and saying, "Do you have Bible for that?" Just told me something that someone is a gift of evangelism. Do you have Bible for that? Well, it's all throughout scripture. Is it really? And then I've heard this teaching that apostles, that Jesus called the 12 and gave them a secular title. You all heard that teaching? No? So there's a teaching that's pretty common that Jesus called the 12 of his disciples and made them apostles. And what apostles were is this secular term. This is the way the teaching goes. It was this secular term about someone who would go into an area and maintain the culture of Rome. So Rome would go in, they would conquer a city, and actually they didn't have to fight that much because most cities, when they heard the Roman army were coming, they just went, we surrender. And then they would appoint what they, What this is the teaching says, they would appoint someone who was the apostle or the cultural ambassador so that the culture would look like Rome's. And the teaching is then, so apostles are cultural ambassadors from heaven. and We have to create heaven's culture here on earth. I can find zero, now that's really popular in our stream. I can find zero credible sources in that, and if you can find credible sources, then please let me know so that I can be corrected. I can find one author quoting another author, but no historical uh, credible sources. So we have this teaching that apostles are the cultural ambassadors of heaven and that's what an apostle does and creates the culture of heaven so that heaven's attracted to earth and that's what they do. The problem with that is, again, there's no, I can find no historical evidence for it, but it's also not the model that we have for apostles. So the only the only kind of model we have for apostles in our stream are the Randy Clarks, Bill Johnsons, Heidi Bakers. These are people that are leading thousands of churches. You know, Bethel, for example, in their network have like something like thirteen and a half thousand churches that globally relate to Bethel. You've got um, Catch the Fire that has. Maybe 15,000 churches that relate to Catch the Fire that would call themselves a partner, uh, you know, Catch the Fire partners they are not. They used to be partners in Harvest. And that's our model. That's, that's got nothing, I would suggest that's got nothing to do with being a cultural ambassador and creating a culture within an area. So so we don't even know what an apostle is. When people come to me and say, you know, I, I've actually had a prophetic word, i got a prophetic word that... Um, a, I'm an apostle, I will ask them what the prophetic word was and what did the person mean by using the term apostle. Because sometimes we just misinterpret, the, you know, whatever God's revealing. We get the, you know, we get the image or something like that or we hear something and we just interpret it wrong because we think that's what an apostle does. Um, so I would say a lot of the prophetic words about being an apostle and being a prophet are probably misleading. So, what do they do? What does a a pastor do? I I think there's a great example of it in Scripture, which is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, right? That's what a pastor does. A pastor is a shepherd of the sheep. And then you have this description. So, what's... The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next bit? Right. And the word want is lack for anything. Right. I shall have no lack in my life. So does that mean if you're experiencing lack that the Lord isn't your shepherd? I think part of the pastor's anointing, the grace of being a pastor, is that you actually, you know, people feel that their needs are getting met. And that there should even be a financial benefit to that. That they should. That like a part of the shepherd's anointing is to walk into an environment and create prosperity. Not to make sure everybody's happy. I don't know if you've ever encountered a five-fold pastor. Um, the the actual guy in my life who gets to correct and adjust me at times uh, when I let him is, da- is Danny Silk. And Danny is absolutely a five-fold pastor. But last year, Danny was involved, and he's still involved in a process. And Danny was involved with him, and Danny sent this letter out to everybody in his contact list. And the letter was pretty abrupt. Have nothing to do with this person. I got some texts and calls from people saying, I was a bit harsh. Like that was a bit harsh, and he was a bit harsh. Well, part of the shepherd's job is actually to kill lions and bears. Like that's part of their job. They're not, they're not the mealy-mouthed kind of person that we've made pastors out to be. In fact, I would say the church has been hurt more by false pastors than false apostles or prophets. That what we've done is we've said this person is a pastor, and they're not a pastor. They're just a hurt person full of mercy. That we've confused pastoring with mercy. And the most merciful person we can think of, well, they're just a real pastor's heart. No, pastors are ruthless. Listen, I'm, I'm I am. They have to be if they're going to. Like pastors are the ones that say um, that person is a wolf. Like you, you, you understand. You understand that the Bible talks about a wolf in sheep's clothing, not. A wolf in shepherd's clothing. So we're always looking for the wolf in the pulpit. It's not the sheep. <laughs> right? So pastors will say, hey, this person is a wolf, and they need to not be part of this community anymore. Right? That's what that's what pastors do. I pastors want to protect their flock. I you know, I've gotten to know Danny Silk f- for a number of years, and He was ministering in our church one year, and I had lost my mom. I had had a a really hard time uh, for a couple of years, and I wasn't telling anybody about it. I was just soldiering on. And there was stuff going on with, you know, one of my kids, and it was just a hard, hard season. And Danny came in, and it was one of these explosive weekend conferences. You know, it was glitter. It was feathers. It was fire. It was people not wanting to leave the building. I mean, my ministry was incredible. I mean, it was, it was one of those like weekends where it's like Shabbat and everybody's falling down. You know, it was just, I was on fire. And then Danny's having lunch with me and my board uh, on the Sunday, just before we took him to the airport. I said, so Danny, go, you're free to speak into whatever. And he said, thank goodness. I, I didn't know how to bring this up. This is literally what he did in front of all my board, in front of like 10 people. I'm sitting like this, and Danny's here, and he's like, whatever this is needs fixed. Whatever is going on with you is just not good. I said, Danny, there's this book called The Culture of Honor. I think you should read it. So I'm not feeling very honored right now. This was in front, of, in front of people. He didn't quietly take me to the side and say, hey, let's talk. What's going on with your heart? How's your heart? He wasn't doing that. He was protecting me and protecting our church. And it didn't feel great. I have to say it didn't feel great at the time. And afterwards, you know, it started this process of recovery for, for, for me. And I had my board all going, yes. This is great. Get into him. And he he kept going. What's going on? What's going on? You have no passion. Where's your fire? Like in front of everybody. He's a pastor. Not full of mercy. He's a pastor. Mercy is actually a different gift. you understand that? It's a a different thing. Because you've got these three listings of gifts in the New Testament. You have Romans 12. You have Ephesians 4. And you First Corinthians twelve, and we get them all mixed up. They're completely different. Like completely different. We think a leader is an apostle. I'm going to let you into a secret. There's no such a thing as marketplace apostles. Okay, just letting you into that secret right now. It's it's made up. It's completely fabricated. You're called to the church. You're equipping the church. But what we've done is if we have a a Romans 12 paradigm, then we're going to see leaders as apostles. And we're going to say you have to be over 10,000 churches before you're actually really an apostle, which would obviously mean that the apostle John wasn't an apostle. because He had maybe seven that he was writing to. Right? So, there's no such a thing as marketplace apostles. We've got Romans 12 confused with Ephesians 4. And I know there are dear people that I respect and admire <coughs> that teach that uh, Priscilla and Aquila were you know, marketplace apostles. The problem is there's no Bible for that. We're told that they're servants, ministers, not that they're actually equipping people to minister. So we, we've, we've got this confusion thing going on. And part of the confusion is that you, in Romans 12, you've got um, this leadership thing and, and you've a gift of teaching. That doesn't mean that it's the same as the Ephesians 4. Do you know how you know that? Because teaching is never mentioned in Ephesians 4. Ever. The teacher is. But teaching as a gift isn't mentioned. Okay, let's let's. What's a teacher then? What's the difference? So I think a Romans twelve is about rightly dividing the word of God. I think Romans twelve is about bringing division into the church. Right? Everybody who believes this, come to me. Everybody who's wrong, go over there. That's what teaching does, right? So, that's not what Ephesians 4 does. Ephesians 4 is supposed to bring unity. Like the fivefold is supposed to bring unity. That's actually the purpose of, one of the purposes of the fivefold. So, any prayer meeting that you're having about unity won't happen. Unity simply won't happen without the fivefold. It's impossible. We're just doing busy work. Let's actually have, let's have a prayer breakfast for unity. Won't work. It's not the strategy in, in the kingdom. The strategy is the fivefold. You bring the fivefold, you're going to get unity, and it's going to hurt. It's, it's going to hurt a lot because people will wrestle against it. Meanwhile, the apostles are kind of going, "I know. I know. It's hard. I know." So, teachers in the fivefold, the teacher in the fivefold is actually supposed to be. Uh, bringing alignment, teaching about bringing alignment, teaching about the kingdom, and teaching people how to do this stuff. That's what the teacher does. They impart a grace on people's lives that isn't just information, but it's also activation. Now I think all the fivefold should be, teach- should be teaching. I think they should all teach, but that doesn't mean they're all teachers. So one's dividing, the other one's bringing unity, and really uh, digging into the the information and the activation for the kingdom. And then you've got the evangelist. What's an evangelist. They have a gift of evangelism, no? they don't. And you've got this model that says the evangelist hit the church. Listen, if you hit the church, you're not an evangelist. You're hurt. Right? You're just hurt. You're someone who's hurt and maybe with an agenda, but you're not an evangelist. And that there is this theory that evangelists, that, well, why are we gathering? Why are we spending money on buildings? when well, we could be out saving the lost. That's not what an evangelist does. Let me explain to you what an evangelist does. So I have somewhere in here this wonderful thing. This is an American Express Platinum card. Ooh. This is this is great. It's really expensive. It's probably one of the more expensive car- credit cards that you can get. Let me let me what's that? No, so the, the thing about this is you have to pay it off every month. Right? That's the thing about American Express is you have to pay it off every month. Right? that's so a good thing. But it's five hundred dollars a year for this. Ow. But let me tell you what you get for it. And if anybody wants to apply for it, please, I'll send you a code. You can get some miles. I'll get some miles. That's great. Let me tell you what you can get for this. I get $200 Uber credit every year. So anytime I use an Uber, it comes off my $200. It's great, right? I get upgraded in every, almost every hotel chain that exists. I, I'm automatically a platinum or premium member with this. is that great? So you're staying in a hotel and they'll, every once in a while, every couple of times you stay in a hotel, they'll upgrade you to a suite. My wife and I stayed in a, we have this tradition just before Christmas, we go out do some shopping, have, have a nice meal, and we spend the night in a hotel, just close to our area. But it's this really nice hotel, and we book a $100 room, and they gave us the presidential suite this year. We didn't want to leave. Honestly, do we have to go home? Don't make us go home where there's children and cleaning and people don't, you know. Phenomenal. I pick an airline, so I I fly America. And anything I buy on the airplane is reimbursed. So, yeah, I'll take 10 packets of Pringles at $6 each that you would never in a million years buy. But, yeah, give me those Pringles. Yeah, whoa. Um, I, have a, I have a dedicated concierge. So what's say Say there's a big sporting event or a concert. So your concert tickets are released at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. I call American Express and say, get me two, two tickets, please. I don't have to do anything. They're on the line at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning booking me two tickets. If there's a restaurant that I can't get into, call them and say, hey, get me into that restaurant, whenever. And they will call every morning. It's like having your own personal assistant. Isn't that great? But it's the upgrade thing. It's getting upgrades. It's getting your money back. It's all of this kind of stuff. So it's a I mean, anybody that travels, any itinerant or anybody that's traveling, I heartily recommend that they get this car. I've just become an evangelist for the American Express Platinum Car. That's what an evangelist does. An evangelist will constantly tell you the benefits of belonging. Evangelists are the ones that are saying, hey, you know what? This This is not the gospel of salvation. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And in the gospel of the kingdom, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's what evangelists do. Evangelists are going to come in and say, do you know what you get for belonging? You don't just get to go to heaven. You get heaven to come to you right now. Do you want to experience that? Do you want to experience a little bit of heaven? That's what evangelists do. They're constantly explaining the benefits of belonging to the kingdom. So that you kind of go, well, why would I not want an American Express Platinum card? It's great. It's not the gift of evangelism. It's the gift of explaining the benefits of the kingdom. So we know what a pastor is a little bit. We know what a teacher is a little bit. We know what an evangelist is a little bit. And then you've got the weird prophet. And it's tricky because it's mentioned everywhere. You've got prophecy. You've got the gift of prophecy. And then you've got the prophet. And because they all sign the see it sounds like that's it's a continuum or it's all much of a muchness. It's really not. So the prophet, what does a prophet do? A prophet, this is my opinion. If the prophet is the most prophetically gifted person in their sphere, they're not a prophet. They have a great gift of prophecy, but they're actually not a prophet. Because prophets are supposed to impart something else to people, that they can go higher and do greater works than they can do. Like That's kind of the principle of being. Frequently in churches you'll get someone who's incredibly prophetically gifted and everybody thinks they're a prophet. No. Why do you have to, like, be unsatisfied with the gift of the Holy Spirit and go after the gift of Jesus? Do you know how that will make Jesus feel? Not to mention the Holy Spirit. Like, you get, particularly with the prophetic stuff, you, you get people thinking, well, the gift of prophecy isn't good enough for me. I need to be a prophet. That's just wrong on so many levels. It's not being promoted. One isn't better than the other. We're constantly thinking hierarchy and all that kind of nonsense, whereas Jesus is thinking family. And, you know, to sort of, to sort of discard the gift of the Holy Spirit to go after what you really want, which is the gift of Jesus being a prophet, is just... So what does a prophet do? I actually think it's the prophet is the one that brings correction to the church. I think the prophet is the one that's constantly seeing what heaven is doing and communicating that to the church. The gift of prophecy never corrects. Ever. Ever. Right? The gift of prophecy is for your encouragement, your edification. Right? That's what it's for. It's, It's supposed to be. Well, I don't want any of those like encouraging words. Okay, I, I you still want prophecy then, right? But especially when it, when our job as a prophetic community is actually to encourage the hell out of the region, right? Like that's kind of our real role. Like our role is actually to encourage the hell out of people. I mean, I've never woken up one morning and said, "I've had enough encouragement for the day. I don't need any more." Right? This is actually the 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 gift of prophecy is for this encouragement, edification, building up, and comfort. That's the gift of prophecy. It should comfort, not thus saith the Lord. Lust! You know, please. You can just throw that word around anywhere and someone will feel guilty. So, but the prophet can come in and actually adjust. The prophet can come in and say, Hey, this needs to shift. This, this culture needs to change. This is what you're going after. And the Lord would say this to you. And I think prophets can correct. That's kind of one of the distinguishing marks of a prophet, is that they're the ones that are allowed to bring correction. Gift of prophecy, never. The prophet Pretty much always. Now my wife is absolutely 125% a prophet, and other prophets that we run with say that Rachel is a is a prophet of love. But that's the, that's her mark. There are people that are prophets of joy because that's who, what they're bringing. Rachel is this prophet of love. You cannot be around my wife without thinking she loves you. Now, that's resulted in some creepy stalkers over the years, to be honest. <laughs> and there have been women stalking my wife, like coming into our house when we are not there. I knew. But she just exudes this love thing. She just everybody knows their love. She's a prophet of love. So when she's bringing correction, you still feel loved. You still feel like, oh, wait a minute. Just happened, because because this isn't an excuse for bad behavior. Calling yourself a prophet isn't an excuse for bad behavior, or being a scary individual, or not doing relationships well. In fact, prophets we we raise up companies. Profits um, we're raising. We've raised one up in Chicago. We're raising one up in San Diego at the minute. Uh, this prophetic company that is both prophets and highly gifted prophetic people, and it's really important that prophets do not run on their own. And you've got this whole 30-year history of people saying, I'm a prophet, and it's because you don't recognize me as a prophet, that's what makes me a prophet. Like this rejection thing that they're carrying as, as you know, a medal, a badge of honor, people reject me, therefore I'm a prophet, that's wrong. What happens when prophets are on their own is they get depressed, go live in a cave, or else they call out bears to kill children. Sorry, that's in the Old Testament. When they're running alone, they get really crazy. And in the Old Testament model, you had schools of prophets that would gather, and they would walk, and they would, you know, work on their prophetic word together that they were going to deliver to a nation or a king or someone important, and they would craft this together. Whereas the model we have is a rejected lone prophet who's bitter and angry, and everybody's afraid of her or him. It's not not the model. That says nothing about the character of Jesus whatsoever, that he's giving you this burden that you can't bear. That's not a gift. Then you have the apostle. The common teaching is that it's a secular term and that we are actually the top of the pile. We are large and in charge. That's not true. So apostles existed in the Sanhedrin. There was an office so that so the do you know what the Sanhedrin is? Y'all know? Anybody not know? I'll give you a quick they were basically like there was a central Sanhedrin, the Grand Sanhedrin, and then every little town or municipality, municipality had a local Sanhedrin. So in the central Sanhedrin, you had a hierarchy of who was in charge, and they would come together every day from something like 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock, or noon to 8, I can't remember, and they would discuss the law and matters of importance. They were basically a council uh, running the show um, under Roman govern- governance. So these were the, they, they were in charge of their people under Ro- Roman governance. The, the top dogs in the Sanhedrin were called the patriarchs, and they were the fathers, really, of, of the city that you know it comes from the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and they kind of took the role as being the older father, wise man. And they were all men. Directly below them were the apostles in the Sanhedrin. And I don't know why I I don't know why people haven't discovered this. Because the teaching out there is wrong, Do you know what their job was? Their job was to interpret matters of the law, but their number one role was collecting the temple tax. Their number one role was to bring money into the temple. So you get these teenagers and you say, hey, you're my apostles. They immediately think they've just been given the authority to interpret law, the law, and they're going to get rich. They're going to actually go and collect the money. In fact, Josephus, this historian, he talks about the temple tax being collected during Jesus's time, and said that it took an army of ten thousand. And they weren't—they they, used—they used mercenaries. They used a paid army. It took an army of ten thousand to bring all the temple tax into the temple. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Going around all the nation and collecting you know, your drachma or whatever it was at the time. And Jesus is saying to these guys, hey, you're going to have authority and you're going to be responsible for the finances. So that makes things a little bit more sensible whenever they come and lay the money at the apostles' feet. right? There's a context for that. And even the context of the apostles in the Sanhedrin had some uh, context in the Old Testament. There's a guy called Robert Henderson who's written a book on it called The Cause, well, not on it. He's written a book called The Cause Blessing, which is about the teruma, the first fruits, and how it should go to your apostle. And, you know, he ties it in with the sort of priests in the Old Testament and how there's, there's this legacy that this isn't something that just happened out of context. There is a context for the role of the apostle. They would have fully understood what an apostle was. You have authority. You can bring breakthrough with finances for the temple. Crazy. Whereas we have it that the apostle is the guy on stage at a conference, um, in a nice suit, going Shabbat, and is writing books, and has a TV channel, or nowadays it's a YouTube channel, right? And that's that's what an apostle is. And we've made it out of out of reach and out of touch from average people like me so here's the major the major difference between Ephesians 4 gifts and Romans 12 and 1st Corinthians 12 right so if i pick in the holy spirit's gifts for a while so should about a honda about a kia right it's it's something that i do the gift of tongues is something that i do prophecy the gift of prophecy is something that i do right the word of knowledge is something that i do if i have the gift of faith it's something that i have to do you can't just have the gift of faith and sit back and do nothing right because that would be stupid so the, the gifts of the holy spirit are things that we do and the spirit is always subject on demand so we can make a choice to do or not do there is no try only do or not do yoda um Ephesians 4 aren't like that. Ephesians 4, the gift is the person. I'm actually the gift. It's not my ability to juggle or spin plates. I am the gift. As an apostle, I am the gift. You're welcome. Yeah. Things should happen just because I'm here. Things should shift just because I'm here. And there might be agitation and there might be some pushback and there might be a bunch of that and there might be people getting tweaked a little bit, but things should happen because I am the gift. It's the same with the teacher. The teacher shows up. She or he is the gift. Not Not their amazing abilities, just this you know if you receive a prophet in the name of the prophet what do you get the prophet's reward if you and i think it's applicable to, to all five if you receive a teacher and so if you're if you're receiving me an apostle and you start to receive me as a pastor you're going to get nothing but confusion anybody ever needed electrical work f- you know, fixed in their home, and, and they call a plumber, it wouldn't work. I'm not calling a plumber to come and fix my electrics. It would be a disaster. It's the same with the fivefold. You don't call a prophet if you need an apostle. And people will say, Hey, is it important that you call me apostle? Please don't call me apostle. Don't call me pastor. My name is good enough for my parents, it's good enough for everybody else. My name is Ian, and it means John. Just beloved. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Right? My name's just Ian. But if you're actually looking for a function, then then you should, and you need an apostle, you should call an apostle. Right? If you you need a prophet to come in and bring correction and adjustment, then you should call a prophet. You need a teacher, pastor, all that. Now there is no model. So I'm the gift, right? I am the gift. It's one of the hardest things for people when, so, when, when I'm, I do these emerging apostles intensives, and they're phenomenal. They're absolute. they're probably my favorite, uh, it's hard to say. I love what I do, so I love what I do, and these are, these are up there with some of the things I do, because I get to see people deployed as apostles, not just attend a school. I I put everything I can to see them deployed as apostles, and it's the hardest thing for people to grasp is, but I'm the gift. So, so you're not, you know, if we're taking an offering, like we took an offering last night, and you're t- I, I could sit there and say, I hope this is worth it. Like, I hope this is worth it. You know, the $7.50 they put in for whatever, I hope, I hope I'm worth it. I hope my abilities, my gift's worth it. I have to make sure I give them something. You know, could dance for you, <laughs> juggle, you know, stay, you know, take some glitter from a pocket and throw it on you and make you think you've had an encounter. Because I'm under pressure that my gift has to be good enough, but when it's you, it's ten times worse. It's ten times worse. The vulnerability that there is in saying, "Hey, I'm the gift," is what everybody in our schools experience, whether they're prophets or apostles, the vulnerability of sin, okay, I'm the gift. Well, that's freeing and terrifying. That's why it's the great and terrible day of the Lord, right? It's great and terrible. So it's both freeing to say, okay, great, I don't have to, but, oh, wait a minute. What if nobody likes me? What if nothing changes? Then I'm probably not an apostle and I need to go back to whatever I'm doing. But I'm the gift. But well, there is no model in the, in the New Testament of every church having fivefold present. That's one of the. That's one of the things, particularly in smaller churches. Believe it or not, you'll go. In, I'll go into a church, and you know they'll call me or something like that. they'll hear about it and say, "Hey, you know, we're a church of forty people, and uh, we're really going to go after this fivefold. So, um, who should we pick?" And the and the way it goes is, um, okay, so you're a prophet you're a pastor, you're a teacher, you're an evangelist. What does that leave? I guess I must be the apostle. Awesome. Let's do that, right? And that's how, there's there's no need for that. I think every church, regardless of whether they're led by an apostle, should be connected. And I mean connected to an apostle. See, the word apostolic means I look like my apostle. So if you tell me you're apostolic, I'll say, "Well, who's your apostle?" And if you tell me it's Randy Clark, I'm going to say, "No, it's not. It's not. call him for me right now. Call him. If he's your apostle. Or if he's, your, if he's your apostle. Call him. Let's see if he'll take your call. Even you text him. You know, you don't. Have, nobody likes getting phone calls nowadays. Just text him and see if he'll reply. Well, I don't have his number, but I watch him a lot on YouTube. No, not your apostle. The Apostle Paul says, you have many teachers, but you have one father. Now, that's not an encouragement to go out and get many fathers, nor is an encouragement to not have many teachers. It's okay to have many teachers. In fact, if you're, if you, as long as you're not brain dead, it's a good idea to have a lot of input and get a lot of thinking done and all that. But you have one father. No, you look like me. What he says. He says it like five times, I think, in the New Testament. I want you to look like me. Imitate me. Do the same as I do. I'm gonna send you Timothy, and Timothy will remind you of, of what I what I look like, and I want you to imitate Timothy because when you're imitating Timothy, you're going to imitate me. So you should be connected, churches, individuals, eh. Individuals should really be connected with the overseer of their church. But I think churches need to be connected to an apostle, and that way they actually are apostolic. And how do they become apostolic? We're actually going through this in in a region that I won't mention because we're being recorded. But we're going through this in a region at the minute and trying to bring alignment into the picture. So alignment is kind of what the fivefold are about. And it's really the apostle and the prophet that drive it and it's the pastor, teacher, evangelist that, that provide backup to this alignment because the Ephesians 4 word equipping is actually a Greek word that is a chiropractic term, and it means reset the bones. Anybody ever have to get their bone reset? Anybody broken their nose and reset it themselves? I did that once. Not fun. Right? It's sore. Bringing this alignment is sore. Wait, I have to change. I'm I'm doing something that isn't just reinforcing everything I believe. Well, that's that's not okay. Well, I only need Jesus. You know that was around in Paul's time as well, because you know some said they're of Paul, some said they're of Apollos, some said they're of Peter, and some said they're just of Jesus. Right. So there's there are people that were doing that at the time. That that doesn't mean that apostles aren't a good idea. But our job is actually to come in and bring this alignment, this correction, your posture's off. This is going to sting. And, and again, people think, well, that was, that was a great conference because I didn't have to change. That was amazing. That was an amazing evening because I didn't have to change a thing about myself. That's not apostolic. That's not fivefold. That's tickling your ears. That's getting someone with a real prophetic gift coming in to encourage the hell out of everybody. That's amazing. And We should keep doing that. But when you bring the fivefold in, it will be adjusting. Are we going to actually change some of the things or are we just going to keep going? So when I say things like, what got you here will not get you there, what, what do you think that requires? Yeah? Man, we love change. What's What's happened? in almost every region, in almost every country that I know of, is that there has been an old foundation. And that foundation has generally been on the pastor and teacher. And it's, it's a flawed foundation. It will not sustain the weight of glory that God wants to pour out on the earth in any region or city or anything. So, that means strategically the job of an apostolic community is to build a new foundation that's your job it's not rocket science it is to raise up apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists that's the job but particularly focus on the apostles and prophets because they're the fo- they will be the new foundation for whatever god wants to do here